I want to talk today for a little bit about the invitation. And I have a much bigger box than this at my house full of invitations that I've received over the years, and I just pulled a few out. This is just a, a small sampling. I don't think anybody in this room can say they've never received an invitation. Is, is that true? I mean, it doesn't have to be a card. It doesn't have to be written. It can be verbal. It can be by text. It can be a phone call. If you haven't, if you're feeling rejected right now, we can pray for you. But I think everybody in the room has received an invitation to something. And Okay, let me see what I've got. Oh, this is Jim and Steph. They dated 10 years. It's been 10 years in the making. The day has finally arrived. And so we got a wedding invitation to their wedding. We said, can y'all please get married? We are tired of this 10 years of dating. And so I, I got that invitation. And then who is this from? Oh, this is Cammy. This was one year ago. I helped her pick out these invitations. She was all excited about them. Cammy and David, they'll be here next week. And so Cammy's wedding invitation. Now, this is one of my nieces, and she's extremely creative, and it has a million pieces to it, and you have to open it, and you have to, you know, you have to take off the decoration, and then it tells you it was a, it was a destination wedding, and it was, I believe, in Los Cabos. And, and so there's all kind of pieces to this invitation. This one is actually from Bogota, Colombia. Mauricio got married to Laura, and this is from Colombia. And so I have, oh, there's a little one in here. Where is it? It's a cute one. This was my nephew's second year birthday. Jet is turning two. And so I have invitations of all kinds. And when you get an invitation, most of the time, it says on it, RSVP. Now, today we'll have a little manners lesson in addition to a Bible lesson, because when an RSVP is written on an invitation, okay, and, and most young ladies don't really know this till they get married, and then it starts mattering to them. All right, and then all of a sudden they care about the letters RSVP, but it means respondez-vous s'il vous plaît. And so people are going, well, I don't speak French, but you speak English, all right? And it means please respond. See, whether you're coming or not coming, that's a yes or a no. If it says RSVP one way or the other, you need to accept or decline the invitation. So let's look at a few scriptures real quick before we start, and I'm going to go to Luke 14. Probably this is the New King James. And I'm going to read a long passage, 16 through 24, because Jesus gave invitations too. Jesus said to them, a certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, they were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go see it, and I asked for you to have me excused. And another said, wait, I bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go test them out and I need you to have me excused. And still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded, but still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those who were invited will taste of my supper. They were invited, but they never tasted the meal that was prepared for them. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first one and said, son, Go work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted that answer. 
and he went. And then he came to his second son, and he said the same thing. But this son answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? One more scripture, Joshua 5, 7. So Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place. In their place. Something that was meant for somebody ended up never happening, and somebody else took their place. I was talking to somebody the other day about prophetic words that come our way. And I know some people think, you know, Ed Trout is coming, you get a prophetic word, and it's a guarantee. Look what God's going to do in my future. Oh, no. <laughs> Not a guarantee. It's an invitation. Have you ever accepted an invitation, an RSVP'd yes, and then been a no-show? Have you ever declined, but then called to see if there's still room for you, you know, if there was an opportunity to attend because your circumstances changed? And so even if you intend to attend, if you intend to attend, see, a lot of us have good intentions, but intentions have to be followed by actions. And so we can intend to attend, but never get there. And so certain choices along the way can hinder our stated intention. Number one, we can get distracted and lose track of time. A lot of things out there to take our attention. And so we're not ready when it's actually time to show up for the invitation that was given. Number two, not having the right garments or clothes for the stated function. A few times I haven't been able to fit in my stated garment. And so I'm like, I'm not going, you go on easy, but I'll wait till I can zip this. But, you know, sometimes we don't have the right outfit. If we're going to a special wedding, we just can't go in our workout clothes. And so sometimes it takes preparation in our lives to like to get to a party or to get to whatever God is calling us to. It takes preparation. See, people go, I'm called to ministry. I'm called to ministry. Well, quit being in debt and, and quit just accumulating things to yourself because if you want him to be able to direct you, you don't need all that baggage. See, you don't need to be heavy laden. There's some things you need to do in preparation. I remember I was at my house, and it was about a year or two before God had um, really called us into full-time ministry and told us to sell our house. And I didn't know he was going to tell us to sell our house and use all that money to start the church. But I was putting some pictures on the wall, and I was going to accessorize it. And I, I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, take it all down. What? Is God against decor? You know, is God against art on the wall? No. But he was getting me prepared for the fact that don't settle here. Don't get this all fixed up. Don't fall in love with it because you're moving. See, you're moving on. So he prepares us for things that are come. Number three. Sometimes we can do something that disqualifies us as a guest. We can stay out crazy all night the night before, and we can't make it the next day when we're supposed to be there. We can go to the beach and lay out in the sun with no sunscreen, and we're burnt like a lobster, and you really you can't show up. You hurt everywhere. If anybody hugs you, you cry. And so you can do things that disqualify you as a guest. John Archer is the one who said it first. When God gives you a prophecy, it's an invitation to your future. It's an invitation to your future. Because, you know, John sat under and worked under and served under prophetic ministries until he got here. Very prophetic ministries. Now, this is a prophetic house. But when he first got here, I mean, I think there was a little bit of thought in you that if God gives you a prophecy, that's what's going to happen. And I said, oh, no, 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 there's a lot of stuff you got to do <laughs> to make sure it's going to happen. I said, there's some healing in your heart that needs to take place, and there's some, there's some attitudes we have to work through, and there's some opening of our heart we have to do to God and say, search me, oh, God, if there be any wicked way in me. See, there's a lot of things that have to take place to prepare us so that the stated prophetic word can come to pass. Now, that's God's idea. 
And that's what he wants, but we have to somehow co-labor and partner with him in some ways, or it might not work. Now, sometimes we think it's up to God to make it come to pass. And on a certain level, on a certain level, to a certain extent, it is. But on another level, he cannot make it come to pass without your cooperation. And since he made us with a free will, he cannot make our choices for us. And so he tells us everything we need to know to choose well. And he gives us instructions on what to do. He tells us how to eliminate things that might sabotage us. But ultimately, the choice is ours. And so every succession of godly choices gets us closer to our destination. Every succession of demonic or ungodly choices or agreements is like opposition to our mission. But it's not outer opposition. It's caused by us. <laughs> it's caused by our choices. When God told Joshua over and over and over, I mean, how many times? Fear not. I am with you. Fear not. Be not afraid. Fear not. Fear not. If Joshua and his companions would have sat around talking about how afraid they were, <laughs> I just don't think their track record in battle would have been the same. See, God said, fear not. So you can't do the opposite of what God says and expect it to come out the way God said it's going to come out. God commanded that the kings in Deuteronomy 17, 16 through 20, not accumulate wives and horses, yet Saul did. He told Saul specifically not to spare any of the Amalekite spoil, but he kept some. And so even though he had been anointed and he started out right, it changed his heart when he began to do things God said not to do, and it caused a great grief to Samuel, and his end was not as it should have been. Choices make a difference. When Paul was killing Christians and actually felt that he was somehow righteous in doing so, he had a complete reversal of heart, and then he ended up writing much of the New Testament. So you can make choices in a wrong direction and reverse and change. When Peter, the chief apostle, the one who preached to 3,000 people and, and 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost, he disagreed with Jesus about his need to be crucified, and Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus called him Satan. I mean, I, I, I haven't heard that lately, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Like, you know, He hadn't talked to me like that lately. But you know what? Sometimes Satan does try to talk to us, and God wants us to locate that thought and know what to resist and what to take in. And sometimes the things that we should resist pummel and pummel and pummel and try to beat down our door. And God says, no, you keep resisting because that's not my thought. And so really, any thought against the plans and purposes and ways of God, even if it's our thought, is a demonic thought. And you go, well, I don't, I don't want to think I have demonic thoughts. Peter had a demonic thought. The chief apostle that preached and 3,000 were saved had a demonic thought. The one who walked on water had a demonic thought. Get thee behind me, Satan. See, where's that thought coming from? And so I want to talk quickly before we move on about five doors that open us up to the demonic. And these are taken from a book called Shadow Boxing. Many of you read it some years ago, maybe eight or eight years, seven years ago, uh, by Dr. Henry Malone. Dr. Henry Malone is welcomed in denominational and non-denominational and spirit-filled churches alike. He has an amazing ministry of deliverance. It's not wild and crazy, but he can just talk to you gently. And I mean, there's a, a thing on him, and demonic forces get broken over your life. But he talks in his book, Shadow Boxing, about defeating the darkness within. And he says there are five doors that open us up to the demonic. Number one, disobedience. 
any attitude or action that Scripture tells us not to do, not to have, or anything Scripture tells you to do and you refuse. Sexual sin, pride, refusing to love, not tithing. See, this is not legalism. Obedience is a New Testament principle. It's not just something from the Old Testament. And so disobedience, sins of disobedience aren't really accidental. It's not like you accidentally are in disobedience. They are fully chosen. And if they stay in your life long enough, they can become habitual. And once they become habitual, they start to seem natural. They start to actually seem okay. I'm a Christian, but this is okay. And they become patterns of behavior, and it starts to seem like they're not even sin. It's just the way I operate. You know, I always blow up and, and have like a little bit of a fit, but I cool down later. It's just the way I am. And God says, wait, there's a stronghold of anger there. You know, I, I, I find it hard to forgive people. I'm just not one of those people. You know, I just, I just stay away from them after that. I just don't want anything to do with them. And, you know, I don't know, whatever God wants to do with them, he can do. But I'm, you know, and you go, you know, whatever, they'll get their just desserts. And God is saying, forgive. And see, there's things that we begin to think are natural human patterns, and they can easily be disobedience. And so disobedience clouds your will, and then choosing the right thing becomes hard. Because the enemy has developed what the Bible calls a stronghold in that area. So once a stronghold is developed, it takes resistance, and you've got to fight to get into right thinking patterns. And you go, why do I have to fight? This isn't fair. Well, because you let the stronghold develop. And so we cause things that we then get angry about. And God is working with us the whole time not to get in that mess. And so our choices can get us in places that we shouldn't be. And so I tell people, you know, you've got to start hating what you were in agreement with. And people go, well, I don't want to hate myself. You know, God says, love, love, you know, love yourself, you know, even as you love your, your neighbor. And yes, love yourself. But that thing shouldn't be in yourself. And so there's some things in you that shouldn't be in you. And so we begin to hate those things so that we separate ourselves from them. And so a separation has to take place and a dividing of soul and spirit like the joints and marrow. And so you've got to hate what you were in agreement with. You've got to hate the pattern, hate the habit, hate the sin. Number two, unforgiveness. Most people who do heinous things don't really deserve forgiveness. I don't really deserve forgiveness of my sin, nor do you. And true forgiveness is hard. Sometimes it feels impossible within our own selves. But here's what we do when people do us wrong. We make the choice to forgive. And we make the choice to let it go. And we might have to keep trying to let it go for a time, for a while. You know, my spiritual mother says, this is what forgiveness looks like. And she holds a book in her hand, and then she drops it. And she goes, we drop it. We let it go. We let it go so that we're no longer holding on to it. And so sometimes we have to ask God to help us release the offender. I, someone had done me wrong, and I'm like, I felt it in my heart during worship. I would feel a heaviness, and, and, and it wasn't even who you think it is. And, and so I would feel this heaviness. I'm like, God, I'm not letting go of this. It's still on me. It's still in me and on me. I need your help. And I prayed, God, help me release it. Help me release it. Help me release it. And after a little time, it was gone. But I had to desire what God desired. I couldn't just go, oh, well, it's still there. I guess this is the way I am. So unforgiveness keeps the door open for the tormentor, the Bible says, to come into our life. And sometimes the person we've got to forgive is ourselves. See, some of us can't forgive ourselves. And there's a guilt that 
that just hangs on us, and there's a heaviness that stays on us. And, and people are preaching the, the, the Bible, and, and five people in the room are picking up the love and mercy of God, but you keep feeling condemned. I mean, there's been some of my sermons that I've preached in the past, and people have come up and go, I felt really convicted. I go, not you. Get rid of it. It wasn't for you. I go, <laughs> Angie, one time we were in a meeting, and, and like somebody's got, somebody, God is going to take their lampstand out, and Angie goes, I think it's me. And I go, what? And she goes, I had a little funny feeling against my room. And I go, stand back, Angie. It's not you. All right. <laughs> See, sometimes we get condemned or, 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 you know, about things that God says, no, 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 it's not you. But sometimes God says, oh, it's you. It's you. <laughs> yeah, you need to get rid of that. You, you need to stop that. Number three, emotional trauma. Wounds caused by sudden physical injury or by emotional shock or pain can bring emotional trauma. And the devil doesn't play fair. And if you've ever seen like a dog that's run over on the side of the road and then the flies start buzzing around, the devil's like the lord of the flies, you know? And so wherever you're wounded and hurt and bruised, he comes. And if he can, he will make entrance, if he can. And so those that, I'm talking about wounds that we had a part in causing and those that we are the victims of, because it could work both ways. It can be anything that hurts you deeply. Divorce, accident, sexual abuse, betrayal, fearful experiences, rejection, ridicule, bullying. Look at the kids that kill themselves. A spirit of suicide comes because they were bullied. Spiritual abuse, maybe in a church, maybe you were in a cult. Abuse by an authority figure. See, a bruise on my body is caused by inner bleeding. You don't always know what's going on, but on the inside, something's going on, and it shouldn't be that way. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, and he has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted and set at liberty those that are bruised, bruised. He cares about bruises. He cares about trauma that is still on us and in us and with us that keeps us from moving forward. And so then we're like little sheep with, with packs on our back. And sheep aren't meant to carry packs. They're not meant to carry packs. We're not donkeys. We're not mules. We're called sheep. And so he wants to take those heavy loads off our back so that we can just truly come to him like the little lambs that we are and he can be our shepherd. And if you... My, I, didn't, I don't mean to do a commercial, but the, the series uh, War on Soul Trouble is on YouTube. What do you just do? War on Soul Trouble, YouTube, Lena Jones. It's an eight-part series. I taught it at conferences all over. This particular series was recorded in 1998. Some of you were in the room. But it's an it's a, it's a in-depth dive on emotional healing and release from trauma and pain and pull from the past so that we're not still living with the consequences of it in our present day life. And so I would advise you to listen to that on your own. Number four, inner vows and judgments. Vows of what you don't want to be. Vows of what you don't want to happen. We said, we'll never be a pastor. We didn't even think we were making a vow. We just thought we were making a statement. We just thought it was sensible and right. What I'm never going to be. What I can't live without, even if God didn't say that. Judgments against parents. I'm never going to be like that, and then you're like that. Because what you judge, you often become. You become what you judge because you don't release the judgment, and it's bound to you. The always-never statements. 
that don't really have the Bible in them. <laughs> See, it can be a, when you make a vow, it's like you're operating from a negative place. It's a negative reaction instead of a positive response. See, God wants us to act on, not react to. He wants us to act on his word, not react to what we don't want to be, what we don't want to happen, what we don't want to be like, what we don't want to, you know, to, to occur. And so a vow binds us to a course of action, and sometimes it can lie dormant, but a situation can trigger it. So be careful about these inner vows and judgments. In, in ministering to people in counseling, many times there are people who have had illnesses, and then they tell me, well, I always thought I'd die early of this. I'm like, excuse me? You just made a covenant with the devil, but it's a casualty covenant. It's for a casualty to happen. What do you mean you thought that? Well, you know, my mother died of it early and my sister died of it early, so I figure I'll die of it early too. Do you know how many people have been raised off their deathbed if they just break that casualty covenant and they disagree with the enemy and they start believing with God? See, and so we can get rid of these harmful things that try to enter the doors of our life. See, his presence is an open door, but the enemy is trying to get us to go in a lot of other doors. A lot of other doors. You know, the prophetic can come and be spoken over you even while these areas are operating in your life. In the early days, we'd have prophetic people come in, and I happened to know some of the deep inner recesses of things that people were dealing with, and they'd get this prophetic word, and I'm like, wow. Like, because the prophet doesn't come and tell you all your sins. <laughs> and the prophet doesn't come and tell you every issue that you've got in your life. And just because he says God has this for you, it doesn't mean God's approving of everything else that's going on in your life. <laughs> Oops, stamp and approve. I'm okay. I can get away with this now. God gave me a nice word. <laughs> But you see, the prophetic can come and be spoken even while these things are being addressed. The prophetic can be in motion. And God gives us time, and he's gracious and merciful. And so sometimes there's time that these things will slough off of us so that we can become everything God is saying. But if we allow one of these areas' entrance into our life, it can keep us off course or change our course in a detrimental way. And God wants us to stay on course. The fifth thing is curses. And, you know, had I not seen this in action, it was hard for me to believe. I remember I hated all the people that just always were looking for devils and just finding the devil made him do it. And there was a devil under every rock and there was always a demonic cause. And it felt like it was like a lack of personal responsibility. And then we get somebody that comes in our church and says, y'all are going to be casting out demons. I'm like, ah, oh, never say never, okay? See, see, don't say what you don't want to do. Just do what God says. And then we started realizing in some of our meetings there were demonic occurrences that would happen. We had in our generation, when revival comes, there will be the demonic show up. You notice when Jesus came into a city, you know, people were peaceful, but when people with demonic issues started acting out, we had people in our generation Jesus meetings, girls would fall on the floor, and the boys go, she got slain in the spirit. And I'm like, I don't think so. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they go, yeah, yeah. And I go, I don't think so. The minute when she started writhing, we knew I was right. And, and so I go, boys, get her in the office. We get her, easy, easy, call easy, okay. <laughs> easy would go back there. Girls bit him, tried to hit him, told him they were going to kill him. Their eyes rolled back in their head. They talked in other voices, but they got delivered. <laughs> they got delivered. And so 
there are curses and demonic things that operate that are in an unseen realm that you may not be aware of, and you might find it hard to believe. But there is a spiritual realm. And it, there, there's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, not just one. See, spiritual doesn't mean just God. <laughs> Supernatural is not just God. Now, one is greater than the other, but you have to know that you do have an enemy and you have to know what to resist and what to be aware of. And so curses has their origin in the unseen realm, but then they manifest in the seen realm. Words can carry blessing or cursing. Objects can carry curses. We've had people who get rid of a statue that they got on their trip to Jamaica. We've had people that get rid of uh, some piece of jewelry. Um, I got rid of all kind of stuff when I got saved. Khalil Gibran, Edgar Casey, the Transcendental Writers. I got rid of everything in my house that could have anything attached to it that was not glorifying God. It cost money. I got rid of it. See, nothing's worth having that stuff around. Nothing. Demonic spirits operate where curses are in motion, but we can discern and break the power of curses because Jesus trumps Satan every time. But we have to have spiritual eyes that we can see. You know, I've told you many times about Cammie sitting in a meeting with us, and, and she'd had those boils, those boils. We, we, we'd pray for healing. They'd leave a little bit, but then they'd come back. They'd pray, leave a little bit, then they'd come back. 27 boils, painful, disfiguring boils all over her body. And Easy calls her out and said, I see a young man in a chemistry class you were in, and he has a hooked nose and a space between his two front teeth, and his name is Calm, Calm, and he, Cammie goes, Calm Lesh. He goes, he put a curse on you. He was from another religion, and he wanted to marry her, and she rebuffed his advances, and he was quite a stalker, and we don't know what he said or what he did or what power he tapped into, but something happened, and we discerned it, and easy discerned it in the spirit and broke it, and the boys left and never came back. Curses. There have been times when Alan stood up to worship, and he goes, I'm going to break every demonic curse. In the, like, he's had to break some things to press through and worship. We don't know. We don't know what's going on. We don't know if somebody from the outside said something. We don't know if somebody brought in something. We don't know where it's coming from. But we break what we sense in the atmosphere because atmosphere matters, like John said. See, we can go into any environment, but atmosphere matters. We have to have the atmosphere of heaven operating. And the demonic would try to operate in our midst at the same time. But we have to know our authority in Jesus. Now, also, there can be no door open, and the devil is just mean. See, and it's not that you're in disobedience or there's a curse or, or you have unforgiveness or you made a vow, but the devil is just mean, and he's a liar, and he's a thief, and he just tries to break your door down. <laughs> and if you're not resilient and resistant, sometimes he breaks it down, and then you find that you've got to get him out. Now, I mentioned a while ago Paul and Peter and their shift in thought patterns. And the truth is your last thought locates you. Your last thought locates you. You can be screwed up two weeks ago and thinking this and thinking that and having this plan, but God gets a hold of you and jolts you, and you get the truth of God on the inside of you, and now you're not thinking that crazy thought anymore. <laughs> your last thought locates you. My intercessor friend Tammy, who's now in heaven, would call and go, and she would pray over our young people in our ministry, and she goes, ooh, so-and-so is going through something. They, there's a lot of confusion, and, uh, and be careful. You know, they may not be making some good choices right now. And then two months later, she'd call, and she'd go, they're in a good place. And I'm like, wait a minute. Are you schizophrenic? You just said. And she goes, oh, no, they're in a different place now. See, your last thought locates you. What are you agreeing with? So you might think you're on course, and it might look like you're on course, and you can tell people you're on course, but your thoughts locate you, the ones you agree with now. 
God's perfect will hinges on the choices of man. But even if, now here's the good news, even if you have made the worst choices in the world, you can change directions. You can change directions. Today, you can do it. You can make one good choice, and one choice change changes your location. Because what did I say? Your last choice locates you. So one thought change changes your location. And then you keep making good choices. And first, your location is changed, but if you keep making good choices, your direction changes. First, your location changes, then your direction changes. And then you get into a lifestyle of good choices, and guess what? Now your destination is going to change. It's going to totally change where you're headed. Location, direction, destination. So no matter where you start from, no matter how far off course you have gotten, you can still get to where God says he wants you to get. He invited you into a place of obedience that was going to bring blessing, a place of blessing. Obedience always brings blessing. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land, the fat of the land, the best, the best, most choice things. But it's all about what you decide day by day, hour by hour. So my question is, what are you doing that will derail you or have you dealt with the derailers, the derailers? If God decrees or prophesies a thing, there are other factors involved in the fulfillment or fruition of what he desires for you. You must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You must pull down every stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and that will take effort. And people go, oh, I didn't want to have to do anything. Oh, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you won't be successful in your Christian walk. Because God says there are some things we do. These are, these are commands. Take every thought. This is an action verb. Take, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's something you do. Pull down. Pull is an action word. Pull down every stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Takes effort. And you can't be accepting the invitations from the enemy. The defeated, poor me, why me, woe is me. See, this is just one example, and I don't have time to do them all, but like the self-pity thing comes. The enemy thrives on that. He thrives on all those self-stuff, selfishness, self-pity, self-abasement, uh, you know, but, but self-pity, we'll do that. So God says, I invited you to be an overcomer. I wanted to throw a victory party, and I wanted you to praise me even before you had the victory in hand. And you said, yes, I, I like that. And you, you accepted the invitation, but then you went to the pity party. You showed up at the pity party <laughs> instead of the victory party. And here's some great advice to spouses and to Christian friends and to church acquaintances. If someone is at a pity party, they want you to come too because misery loves company. <laughs> All right. And so you don't want to appear uncaring or unkind. I mean, you're a Christian. You want to appear loving. I, I want to be understanding and nice. But by the time you're nice long enough, it is very possible that you have now too become a guest at the pity party. <laughs> the one the devil's hosting. So see, even when people are talking to you about their thoughts, you need to locate those thoughts. And we got to tell people some stuff they don't want to hear sometimes if we really love them. 
and if we want him strong and want him to be okay, or else we both fall into the pity party ditch. So we must be diligent about exposing hidden, say hidden, hidden. The closer a lie is to the truth, the more damning it is. I can't remember if my dad said that or Ed Cole, but somebody said it. And see, the devil is a master at camouflage and, 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 and hiding. And so he makes, he, he gets real close to the truth, but he twists it a little. And so it seems to have a semblance of truth, but there's just something not quite right about it. And sometimes I haven't even known what it was, but I just don't feel good about that thing you just said. <laughs> and it just feels off. But everybody else thinks, that sounded nice. And I'm like, Ooh, something's off. Because the devil is so close to the truth, it's hard to split it. It's hard to discern. It's hard to, to, to separate. So there are hidden things that the enemy brings. They try to hide. They try to masquerade as something else. Even some symptoms will try to masquerade as something else. Many years ago, what was it, 15, 20 years ago, my intercessor friend called and said, the enemy is trying to do something to ease his mind. He's trying to make y'all think that he, he's not as sharp anymore. And, and Alan and I noticed he was like having trouble with his thoughts. And, and he told us, it's like there's a claw on my brain. Oh, you know, early onset dementia. You know, see, if we just started saying that, we'd have been in a whole different place than we are now. And we're like, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. The enemy's doing this. Well, no, in the name of Jesus. We, no, I have the mind of Christ. You've been praying over your body every day. I'm, I'm, I'm reaping the rewards of that prayer. And so we resisted that attack. But, you know, the symptoms really probably seem like something we should have agreed with just out of common sense. Because it masqueraded. It hid as something else. And we have to be not unwise of the enemy's devices. The Bible tells us not to major on the enemy, but be not ignorant of his devices. And so we must be exposing hidden thoughts of darkness that delay, detour, and derail our destiny. Light exposes darkness. Truth counters lies. In times of a heavier anointing, in times where we're entering a glory realm, in times of revival, it is customary for darkness that's usually hidden to be exposed. And you're like, ooh, no. I'm like, this is a good thing. <laughs> Who wants to be walking around with darkness you don't know about on the inside of you that's derailing you and delaying you and deterring your destiny? You want to know. And if somebody else comes in, you want to be able to help set them free. So there's five open doors to the demonic, plus the one he just beats down because he's mean. Disobedience, unforgiveness, emotional trauma, inner vows and judgments, and curses. And so I want to know if any of those are open in my life. Because if they are, and I know, I can close them tight. I can get him out and close them tight. The Jewish kings were commanded to write two copies of the Torah. Deuteronomy 17, it shall be with him, the king, and he shall read from it all the days of his life, so he will learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words in it. It's not how you start this Christian walk. It is how you finish. I recounted with Alan some of the things we've gone through over the years. This promised revival that we're wading into, we've waited a long time. And we've held on to God's word a long time. And many bizarre things have happened over time that would have made normal people quit and give up. And I said, well, Alan, you're just as resilient as we are because resilience is needed in this Christian walk. He never, that song, you know, he never promised you a rose garden. But I'm telling you, he promised you victory. <laughs> He promised you victory, 
And victory is better than just a little rose garden any day, okay? But you got to be resilient, and you got to push past some th- stuff. And you've got to just get up and fight when you don't feel like it. Like God told Bibi, tough. You know? <laughs> get up and fight. Because you know what? I promise you, you're going to win if you do it my way. Now, even if the people around you don't finish, because I know some people I love that dropped out of the race, you can still make a choice to finish. You don't have to drop out because they dropped out. See, so I recommend that just like the kings, we have two copies of the word, one in our heart and a Bible on our nightstand, and I know everybody has it in their phone, got three. So we can fear the Lord and do all his commands. See, what's he saying What is he saying? He is speaking. The devil speaks. We just don't identify that it's him. We need to go to God so that we can hear the counteracting word to anything the devil might be trying to say. The Israelites were always talking. They were always saying, you know how many times you've read this? All that the Lord has said we will do. (laughs) I can find that on a lot of my Old Testament. All that the Lord has said we will do. And then they talk themselves into doing something else. (laughs) And so they never got to the promised land. It's not what you say. It's what you do. Easy always said, I don't want to hear your talk. I want to see your walk. So, yes, RSVP, respond in the affirmative to every invitation that God extends to you. But you've got to also make the right choices along the way or you will never arrive at the banquet that he has prepared for you. Like in Joshua, someone else took their place. I don't want somebody taking my place. I don't want somebody eating my dessert. I don't want somebody eating the main course that he prepared for me. I don't want somebody else doing the plan that he knows would have brought me great fulfillment. Invitations are being issued all day, every day. They come in all shapes and sizes, big ones, little ones, elegant ones, This was a very rich family. Um, (laughs) But my God owns everything. And so some of the invitations are from the enemy, and we have to turn them down. But many are from God, and so we have decisions to make. When he says, come to me, we can't just stay sitting there and go, oh, I just don't feel good. I don't feel like it, God. Come to me. Come to me. I'm going to put oil in that wound, and you're going to be better. Come to me. I'm going to quench their thirst. You feel so dry, you don't have to anymore. Come to me. See, there's a reason for what he says. Get into my word. Let it go. Forgive them. Don't say that. Ooh, I've gotten in trouble on that one many times. Don't say that. I'm like, okay, I won't. I just want to say this one thing. Okay. Give that offering. Quit tipping and start tithing. That was from Ed Trout last time he was here. Help that person. I never really liked it. Help that person. You have what they need right now. Help them. Don't think on that. Think on this. Okay, okay. And then we talk. Don't think on that. Think on this. See, because there's a result he's after. There's an overriding invitation that we have been extended as a church to enter into the refreshing waters of revival. We've waited a long time for this party to start. But see, don't overlook all the little invitations. 
and how we respond daily still matters. See, we don't just serve a Sunday God. It's not just a one day a week high. <laughs> See, it's every day, RSVP to God and follow through on every word that comes out of his mouth so that you will really get there. Stand to your feet with me. Father, I just thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for hearts that want to obey. Lord, I would just ask that you would search us and reveal any hidden place in us that is de 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 against, that is against, that is going to derail your promises from coming to pass in our life. Lord, we give you permission. We pray the dangerous prayer, and we say we open our hearts, and we let you come in and, and search. Let the, we won't search. We won't get introspective. We won't get into navel-gazing. But, Lord, we're going to let this, the spotlight of the Holy Spirit come in and search our hearts. And if there's any wicked way, God, we thank you that you will show us exactly what to do. Because, Lord, we thank you that your promises are yes and amen, and we want to cooperate fully with every word that's come out of your mouth. We thank you that even as Ed Trout comes and he begins to prophesy to people, God, we just put a hedge of protection around the people in this room that the enemy will not try to break down doors or even bring in doubt and unbelief over what you say. And so, Father, I just thank you that we are a people who want to reach our destination, and we will be walking toward it, God, until the day we walk into heaven. But on the way, there's a lot of victories. On the way, there's a lot of difference we're going to make. On the way, there's a lot of people we're going to touch. On the way, there's a lot of healings we're going to have. On the way, there's a lot of deliverances that we're going to see. On the way, there's a lot of loved ones that are going to be changed. And so, Father, I thank you that we don't want to miss out on any of it, not on any of it. And we pray all this in the name, the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen.